Hello and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened. Today we're going to be talking about assertiveness and the empath, which I think is a really important topic for empaths to consider. How assertive are you? A lot of empaths struggle with this because, you know, typically empaths tend to be very kind and compassionate and enjoy letting other people go first in life and as you're walking through the door. We're going to be talking about how you can be an empath and still be kind and compassionate and considerate and assertive. So Denise, will you start us off by giving us some definitions? I think one of our concerns as empaths is if we do attempt to become more assertive or to reach out to get our needs met, we're afraid it's either going to be misconstrued as aggression or passive aggressiveness or that because it's such a change from what our default position has always been, people might not openly um, embrace us coming from a more assertive standpoint than what we've done in the past. So assertive behavior is, is characterized by honesty, by confidence, by care, active participation, concern for the rights of others, which that definition alone is such a an indicator of, of how so many of us navigate through life as it is. But a person who displays assertive behaviors is very honest, speaks confidently, actively engages in the situation, and deals directly with the problem. So this is often considered, you know, one of the better ways to deal with a situation. Equally, though, a person who is being assertive is concerned about the rights of others and, and doesn't violate them. They express their desires and opinions openly, so there's more understanding. And the confidence isn't arrogance, it's more a sense of self, which I think is an important factor as well to consider. People who are coming from an assertiveness place to be more satisfied with how they're handling the situation. Some of those behaviors can present as being honest, being confident, being considerate of others, being very direct, dealing with the problem, and being expressive. Yeah, making your needs known, communicating clearly and effectively. And a lot of people confuse that with aggressiveness. A lot of people are afraid to be assertive because they think they're going to, you know, morph into this aggressive person. Or they've been trained from a young age to keep your mouth shut, don't speak your truth, hold yourself back, stay small. I think all of those can make it more difficult to come from an assertive standpoint as well. Now, aggressiveness, on the other hand, is characterized more by violence or hostility towards others. So, so unlike someone with an assertive behavior, someone coming from a, with, at a situation with a more aggressive behavior doesn't really care about other people. There's more selfishness, very opinionated, doesn't listen to others, but approaches the situation from their point of view only. Aggressive behavior and, and assertive behavior, though, do share a certain characteristic, and that's expressiveness. So as an assertive individual will express themselves in a, more than likely a more positive or encouraging way, an aggressive individual also expresses themselves, but it comes from more of a place of hostility. And I think as empaths, sometimes that can be so subtle. So we really have to say, how does this feel to me? How is this impacting me empathically? So that is, it a, is someone being assertive with me or, or am I feeling like I need to defend myself? Or is that reaction from someone else that you're talking to, are they becoming defensive or are they being more accepting? Aggressive 
behavior, there's uh, violent and hostile. It, can, it still is expressive. It's governed by anger. It's inconsiderate. And often there's a lot of blame towards other people. There's not a lot of ownership. A lot of finger pointing. Exactly. And the third branch of this is the passive-aggressive non-assertive person. What characterizes them? Well, this is being non-expressive. This is either hesitating or not being able to express opinions or needs. They may not play an active role and often allow other people to make choices for them. They're usually indifferent to others and may be isolated. Unlike an aggressive person, a passive person doesn't directly express the anger but keeps it inside. They may lack the confidence and can often be abused by others because of this, because of this characteristic. Another key thing about an individual who, who may be coming from a more passive place is that they have a very difficult time facing the situation or the problem and want to avoid it. And three behaviors that really kind of exemplify uh, those three behaviors, but it's also about avoiding non-expressive, being isolated, feeling a little indifferent, and, and again, lacking confidence. So whereas a passive person is afraid to speak up, an aggressive person may interrupt and talk over someone, and the assertive person is going to speak very openly about it. There's all of these variances between the three, and there is overlap. It's not easy for me to read about passive-aggressive because being so shy and quiet in life circumstances, I think I did come from that place for many, many years. And maybe out of fear of expressing myself or fear of retaliation if I did. Exactly. Let's give a real-life example. Let's say we're sitting in a restaurant having lunch and we order lasagna and it comes to us and it looks really good except the top layer of cheese is completely burned. An assertive person would say to the server, you know, underneath this burnt layer, this lasagna looks amazing, but could I please have a piece that is cooked better? An aggressive person would say, are you seriously serving me this crap? Take it back. A passive aggressive person would peel back the burnt layer of cheese and eat it and say nothing but wish that they could. That's a great example. I think I've eaten that lasagna many times. <laughs> I think I have too. <laughs> Another example to exemplify that is, so say your spouse is an aggressive request. So someone's coming from aggressive. The least you could do is pick up my, my dry cleaning. And, and don't forget this time like you did last week. Damn it, you never do anything right around here. That's pretty aggressive. Whereas a passive aggressive might come across more of, well, after you get your pedicure or do whatever it is that you do all day while I'm at work, would you mind picking up my dry cleaning for me? That's if you're not too busy. Whereas the assertive request would be, will you please pick up my dry cleaning for me on your way home tonight? So when you look at the, the emotional response that goes with each one, but we've all interacted with people with each one of those personas. Yes, yes. And I, like, I, like you said, a lot of them overlap and maybe at different times we've been all of these labels. Right. And again, if, if you're exhausted, burnt out over, you know, too many plates you're spinning and you're, you come across with something that's blunt and maybe aggressive, please don't beat yourself up because, you know, we all, I, I don't know about you, but I sure as hell haven't come close to anything near perfection yet. No, certainly not. 
But I think you can say a lot of stuff about me and you, and God knows people have. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't think you could call us aggressive. No. However, I know that you and I were not assertive in our early years, and we've learned to be assertive. So I just want to stress it is and can be a learned behavior. But it can also be really easy to revert back to old patterns with people who are triggers, with people from that time in your life when you might not have been as assertive, or if a situation is a replay of something else you've already lived with. It may bring you back to any of these behavioral ways of dealing with things. There's even body language differences with like a passive person will slouch and withdraw. An aggressive person may stand more rigidly, cross their arms, invade someone's personal space, whereas an assertive person may come across as more relaxed and adopt a more open stance and expressions. Maybe that's another key is if you're having a hard time reading someone else or deciding where am I coming from with this is, is check in with yourself physically and say, how, where is my body in all of this? That's a really good tip. And, you know, I think for many of us, assertiveness was kind of trained out of us as kids. You know, we Mm -hmm. were taught to be nice to our siblings or go give our grandma a hug or do something just because I said so. If you went to church or synagogue on the weekends or temple, you were told to forgive others and turn the other cheek, which, you know, I get. Those are lovely lessons, but it does indoctrinate someone to be more passive rather than assertive. So some signs that you are not assertive in your life are that you have weak boundaries, you have a hard time saying no, you may have a lot of drama in your relationships, you feel more comfortable focusing on other people's problems than your own, you have a hard time making decisions, you tend to hold your emotions inside, you may avoid leadership roles, and you may feel guilty when you put yourself first. And you tend to put others above you. You tend to see others as having more, being more, or doing more than you are. So those are just some signs that you may not be assertive. Now, I think it's important to keep in mind, when you do not present yourself as assertive, you're actually making other people uncomfortable. It can cause huge communication issues in your relationship. And you're just not actually listening to your intuitive, authentic self. Think about when you're sitting at a meeting, a conference, a presentation, and the person gets up to speak and they're so nervous that they're stumbling through their speech. How does that make you feel? It makes you feel awkward and uncomfortable and you don't really enjoy the presentation or get anything out of it. Well, it's the same in our interpersonal relationships when we aren't assertive. It makes it so hard for the other people in our lives when we don't simply state our needs. And one of the things that really hit home for me and when I was reading about the differences between the three ways of presenting is they said a passive person may hurt themselves to avoid hurting others. And I think as empaths, some of us fall into that category. We don't want to cause any pain. And when you were mentioning the person on the stage that's stumbling, I always feel so bad for them. I always, oh, I want to just, I start praying for them and say, oh, don't worry, you'll get through this. And the assertive person may try to hurt no one else. They're not going to hurt anyone, themselves included. And But just the whole thing of, I think so many of us do exactly that, will 
throw ourselves in front of the bus because we don't want someone else to feel that pain. So give an example of that, like at work. I think maybe doing more than you share because someone else is going through a hard time and we'll have empathy and compassion. So we'll pick up the slack for someone else. Whereas an aggressive person may say, I'm not doing that. Do it yourself. And they may become more blame or, or again, those characteristics of blame or aggressiveness or, or demeaning someone else to get out of something or to, they're not going to do more than their share. Oh, like my old boss who had that, not my circus, not my monkeys sign on her desk. <laughs> yeah. And, and if I, you asked her for help, she'd be like, nope, not my problem. That is amazing, isn't it? When you think about it, just to have that, that way of looking at life. I was talking to a person the other day. They were saying that their child's teacher was older and said, and at the end of the pandemic said, you know what? Here's the assignments. Here's the book good luck. I don't know how to do the technology. I'm not doing it. And which feels pretty damn passive aggressive. And this man had a young son who was struggling with math. And he said, well, can you do a Zoom call? Could you do a tutoring? Could you do something with the clashes? No, I can't. I don't know how and I won't. And wow. that was it. And he went to the school and he went to the superintendent. Well, she's been here a long time and we really can't make her. And I thought that is exactly a good example in a weird sort of way of this of that I don't have to you can't make me good luck because I'm okay with this and you're not that would to me is aggressive not assertive right exactly and selfish and I think a big part of being aggressive is being a little selfish I like though that what that said earlier about hurts others to avoid being hurt because I think again learned behavior can be I truly in my soul believe that we all come in with a clean slate and open hearts and situations may hinder that in our lives and cause us to become more defensive or aggressive. Well, I've known a lot of aggressive people in my life. And I think if you scrape away all the anger and aggression, you'll find fear. Yes. Yes. Or vulnerability. Yep. And so I think Passive aggressive people are running from a place of fear, and I think aggressive people are as well. Whereas assertive people are running their lives from a place of inner confidence at their core. Right, right. That, that's a good way to put it. One of the things, and this comes from Psychology Today, and it's by Meg Selig, who is the author of Change Power 37 Secrets to Habit Change Success. And she said one technique is basic empathic assertions. And this is a two-part process. So if you're trying to become more assertive or to get your needs met or you need some practice with this, you're trying to, to find your mojo to be able to become more assertive, one of the first steps can be to acknowledge the other person's point of view by conveying some appreciation of his or her situations, feelings, wants, or beliefs. You might not agree with them, but then you secondly, you state your own situations. So an example would be, I know that's important to you, but I don't want to do that. Or I can see that this isn't a good time to talk, so I'd like to set up a time when we can. So you're not burying those feelings within. You're not passively sucking it up and then feeling bad about yourself. You're just stating your needs in a very positive way. Another example might be, I know it's hard to say exactly how much the repair will cost, but I'd like a ballpark estimate. Or, I'm sorry, but I already have too much on my plate. And this is hard. 
These are hard ones, I think, because especially with the work you and I do, and we know some of our clients quite well, we know some of the people we work with, and we know that there are certain people when they reach out to us and you can sense or feel or you know when they do, you try to find a space for them as quickly as possible. And if you can't, it's really hard not to find that space to fit them in. If it's just there are only so many hours in the day, but I really struggle with that. And I will try, and instead of saying, I'm sorry, I'm fully booked, I'll say, let me see what I can do to find you a spot. So is that not being assertive or is that being kind? Well, that's a hard one. The way I deal with it is I strip everything away. So in a situation like that, I think, what is most important to me in this situation? For me, it's always my kids. So in a situation like scheduling, it's my children that take precedence. So then I fill in my schedule around their needs because that's my hierarchy of needs. If I'm having a communication like you were saying before with a contractor and I need to get a good estimate, I strip everything away. What do I need from this communication? I need a bottom line number. And so I'll listen to the whole sales pitch and all the, pe- the, all the stuff he'll throw at me about, you know, you'll get this, you'll get that. And I'll politely listen. And I say, look, I just, I need a bottom line number. What is this going to cost me? And so looking at every exchange where you strip it away with all the fluff and nonsense, and you just ask yourself, what do I need from this exchange? And you hold your ground politely, kindly, and confidently that has helped me tremendously with scheduling, with communication, with getting my point across. My sons were my default for many, many years. They were, they, they always came first. So it, I understand exactly what you're saying. And then, but then there's that part of with people in a, you know, a car repair, a, a contractor, a, a store interaction, something like that. No problem whatsoever. But when you get into the personal or when you get into the, the family relationships or old friends, then I think it can be a little bit more difficult at times to stay in that place of being strong enough not to revert back. Oh, I have a lot of experience with this. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll tell you what helps me. I journal it down, and so I will actually write down the conversation that I expect to have. And you know when you know a family member or a friend so well, you can pretty much guesstimate what they're going to say in, res- in response to your needs? Mm-hmm. So I'll write that all down, and I'll come up with what I can say. And I tend to come up with three main points I need to get across in that confrontation that argument, that difficult discussion, whatever it is. And I, if I write it down, it gets stuck in my head. And when I'm arguing or debating or whatever word you want to put in there with them in that difficult discussion, I can actually see on the page of my notes in my mind's eye, those three points. Do you know what I mean? Because I've Mm -hmm. written it down, I've gone over it. The other thing I do is I'll call up a friend and I'll talk through it with them. And I'll say, look, help me talk this through. Because sometimes when you're having a difficult personal discussion with a family member, you can't see anyone else's side except your own. So talking to a friend who's on the outside, who's not connected to you and that person in the same way. So let's say, for example, I need to have a confrontation with my mom. 
Oh, imagine that. I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't call my sister because she's too invested in that. Right. I would call you or one of my other friends and say, look, I need to have this uncomfortable conversation with my mom. Here's what I want to say. And very often that friend will say, look, I know your mom is a handful. However, she might have a point with such and such. And then that helps me figure out how I can come at this discussion and get my needs met while still making sure that she or he feels heard. So writing it down, talking about it, and coming up with three main sticking points that you need to get across is really important. I also think it is crucial to avoid using you statements. Mm -hmm. You know, you need to, you should see, you never, you always. It's really, really important to use I statements. When you do A, B, and C, that's not going to work. You need to say, you might not realize it, However, I feel X, Y, and Z when you're always late. How can we work through this together? So avoiding those you statements has been really, really key. That's all excellent, excellent advice. I've heard a lot about this is that the positive no. We've had conversations about this in the past. I'm sure we'll have conversations about this in the future, how difficult it can be just to say no sometimes. So again, going back to this article from Psychology Today and, and Meg Seeley and her information, she brought up that when you say something like, I'm sorry, but I can't do it, it's useful because you're giving the person you're talking to acknowledgement. While I'm sorry, but is enough in some situations, the phrase can place a lot of people on defensive alert. So because you're leading with no, a lot of times people will kind of shut down and just hear the no. So one way to make it into a positive no is, uh, this is from Carolyn Webb, the author of How to Have a Good Day. She suggests a four-step process and you start with a positive statement and include much more warmth and, and disclosure than just being a basic empathic assertion that we mentioned in the last examples. So the first thing you would do would be just warmly acknowledge and show appreciation for what the other person's asking of you. You might say, I appreciate your thinking of me to head up this project. Thank you. And when I used to do residential treatment, a lot of the places will have uh, all the staff is trained in the same behavioral model so that it cause, um, provides continuity for the, the students or the children or the young adults that are in that setting. And that was one of the things that came up over and over with different places I work, always start with a positive. So this, you know, I appreciate your thinking of me. And then the second step would be to share your current priorities and why, what that, why this, they're meaningful for you. So you might add on to that after you show the appreciation. One thing I'm involved in right now is the annual report and I'm focused on doing a great job on that. So you're also validating, yes, thank you for acknowledging me, but I'm busy with this as well. And then you can say, no, unfortunately, I can't do both. So I'm going to have to say no to the project and then end with something more referring the requester to another person, make a suggestion, offering good wishes for the successful project, but not just immediately saying, oh, yeah, I can do that too. One thing about this that I think a lot of people that are listening might say is, but right now the job market is so, some people are hanging onto their jobs very tightly out of fear and, and rightfully so especially in the States right now, and being afraid not to take on that extra work because they're afraid they'll be either downsized or let go. But this is a, a wonderful way to assert yourself without 
becoming aggressive or, or dismissive or any of the other traits that could be misinterpreted. Yeah, I think it's really important to just take that pause before you say yes or no and focus in on your emotions and feelings because maybe you do want to take on that extra project. Maybe it will help you interact with your team better or get that promotion. Maybe you really don't want to take on that project. So practice that pause before saying yes or no. One thing that's helped me too, Denise, I say no without an explanation. That took practice and a long time, and it still feels a little uncomfortable. But if someone asked me to do something, instead of saying, oh, no, I can't do that, I've got to do blah, 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 I just say, thank you so much for thinking of me, but I can't do that. That's so healthy. That is incredibly healthy. It's not being aversive. It's not being acrimonious. It's just being honest. I'm sorry, I can't. I can't. And you know what book helped me the most with being assertive is The Four Agreements. Oh, I love that book. I do too. But when you practice being authentic with your word, which is one of the agreements, if you are truly authentic to yourself, then you can't lie and say yes when you really don't want to do something. And you can't lie and say no and make up an explanation. So when you're authentic with yourself and someone asks you to do something that you don't want to do or you can't do, you don't have time for, and you simply say, thank you for thinking of me, but I can't do that, and put a period on it, it's so helpful. Another part of being assertive is not assuming that others know what you're feeling. This is something I think a lot of empaths do. Because we're so intuitively connected to others, we just subconsciously think everyone else is and that they're going to understand or somehow through ESP just know that that request is really going to set us back. People don't. People are in their own worlds. People are dealing with their own stresses. And so you can't ever assume that other people know how you're feeling. And that, again, is one of the four agreements. And so to be assertive, you've got to get in the habit of using your words and expressing yourself plainly and clearly. Excellent point. Now, some people might be saying, well, what about with a narcissist? How do I navigate being more assertive if I'm trying to confront or negotiate or deal with someone who's very narcissistic? And Craig Malkin has a book, Rethinking Narcissism. And in one section on that, he talks about a three-step process on being able to deal with this person in your life who may be sensitive to criticism. That's, that's a nice way to, to couch that. And the, the first step is to emphasize the importance of, of the relationships. An example from his book might be, I think you know that you mean the world to me, or you're my best friend, you're the most important person in my life. Like the positive no, this leads with a supportive statement that reduces defensiveness and gives the narcissist reassurance that this isn't that you don't love them or care about them but that more so that you're trying to get back so this is a healthier place or you're trying to get your needs met without it becoming turning to aggression. You've used this before, the ABCD method, haven't you? Yeah, the ABCD method of assertiveness, the A stands for affect, where you describe how you feel. The B stands for behavior. You state what's happening that's bothering you. The C is the consequence of that behavior, and the D is where you describe what you want. So an example would be, I feel ignored and unimportant when you're late, 
I'd like you to please call or text me next time to give me a heads up. And make sure there are periods at the end of your sentence. You know how some people talk as though everything's a question? Mm -hmm. You want to make sure your tone is just as confident as your words. And like you said, with body language, that's a part of that affect behavior of the ABCD method as well. You want to make direct eye contact. You want to keep your shoulders back. Use a firm handshake. But I wanted to add something else with dealing with narcissists. Very often, narcissists are energy vampires. And so they will poke and prod us to get an energy feed, an energy source. So they're looking for a reaction from us. And so I think you're absolutely right to kind of stroke their ego and start with the positive. You are so great at this. You're wonderful at this job. Thank you for thinking of me, however, comma. But when they push back, which narcissist will, that's when I think you have to employ the gray rock method and not give them the reaction they seek. And that's really, really hard. My first year teaching was at that alternative high school for kids out of jail or rehab. And I had this one student, she was a bit of a narcissist and she was going through a lot in her own life and she decided to make me her personal chew toy that first semester. So there were many, many days where I was just in the teacher's room crying. And on staff, we had a counselor, a really nice guy named Todd. And I remember he came in one day and he was like, is she bugging you again? And I was like, yes, she's pushing all my buttons and she knows it and I don't know how to make it stop. And he said, well, all of this reaction is about you. It's not about her. So if you stop reacting, she'll stop pushing those buttons. And it was so hard to let her say all those things and to just say, thank you for that input. Now, back to my question, who led the blah, 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 the Revolutionary War? And I would just keep redirecting. It took about a month, but she finally got it. And we ended up being good, you know, not friends because she was my student, but on really good terms by the end of that school year. So I think anytime you're dealing with a narcissist, being assertive is always going to be difficult and you have to be on alert, but it can be done. Right. To circle back to that ABCD method, I think it's important to remember that the D is to describe what you want. So saying that if you, and I keep having that old, this is how old I am, the old Jackson 5 ABC song in my head. So, I mean, if you do well with hearing music to remember things, you could make up lyrics for that. Anyway, an example might be for your, your affect, how you're feeling. When you don't greet me when I come home from work, I feel sad, like I don't matter in our relationship. So you hit the A, the B, and the C, and then maybe describe what you want. I'd like a hug or maybe just ask me about my day. But I think it's important to bring that back around to making sure you're stating what you do need in that because that comes back to the assertiveness again. Yeah, I agree. And sometimes I find with passive aggressive people, they don't know what they want. And that's half no. the problem. Or they're afraid. Right. Right. Afraid to actually acknowledge it. And so this is, again, why meditation and journaling and talking it out are so important because you have to get to the heart of what's bugging you, why it's bugging you, and what you want to happen in order for that situation to change. Right. I think I'm going to circle back again is when you were saying about using I statements rather than uh, you statements, which can become more accusatory 
This is from uh, Dr. John and Julie Gottman, who were research and marriage therapists. And finding a way to connect with your partner or someone you work with or even your children or a coworker, and you have to bring up an issue that's upsetting or angers you or disturbs you, but you don't want to start a fire with it, is, you know, sometimes it's tempting to lash out and say, you never take my feelings into account, or you always put everything else together first, or they call, the Gottmans call this a harsh startup. So they're saying it can come across as being overly blunt and uncaring. An example being when you make plans with your friends without checking with me, I feel angry. So the soft startup is the more empathic way to begin the confrontation. And that again starts with first checking whether your partner has a few minutes to talk and then say, you could start with something you probably don't realize you were doing this, but I noticed. See, and that's starting with a you statement, but you're still pulling it back to, to yourself. Or I know you're under a lot of pressure right now, so I hesitate to bring this up, but it's important for me too. And I think in intimate relationships with the stress that so many people are under, this is a really hard topic. It is. And I think choosing your time of when you have that discussion is also crucial to being effective at assertiveness. Oh, definitely, definitely. This is not right before you go to sleep or when you're leaving for work or when in the middle. No, no, no. No. Or if your partner comes home from a crazy, stressful day, you don't want to be like, sorry, it's such a crappy day. Now sit down so I can tell you. (laughs) (laughs) So really honoring that you need this time and space to make yourself heard is really important. And, you know, if you look at books like You Can Heal Your Life or Love Medicine and Miracles, I think it's important to consider that aggressive people tend to express that aggression through health issues, like with with a heart attack, like most aggressive people, you'll see that correlation. Whereas passive aggressive people who are constantly swallowing their feelings and not really expressing how they really feel, they have a lot of chronic type illnesses. So this affects your whole body, not just your, your mental, emotional body. Right. And as so many people are releasing past limitations or loop tapes or things that have kept them stuck in the same place, whether it's people or situations or belongings or whatever that might be, this might be another thing to let go of is coming from a passive aggressive place or becoming aggressive if you feel threatened and practicing I love, love, love your idea of, you know what, practice, get those talking points so that when the situation does come up, you can come from a place of being assertive rather than feeling like you have to um, not be able to speak your truth. Yeah, because when emotions get involved, we lose our train of thought and then we get derailed from that ABCD method. And sometimes you just have to take a step back from it and not engage in that moment. I remember years ago, one of my friend's boyfriends went on a rant against Catholics, knowing full well I was Catholic. Mm -hmm. And I really liked my friend and um, was not a big fan of her boyfriend, and I didn't want to start a big thing there. So I just kind of sat there and listened as he went on and on about how, you know, we have too many kids and the Vatican is so screwy and the Pope wears a dress and all this awful stuff. But then <laughs> it was awful. Okay, the, the Pope got, wears a dress is the one that got me, but go ahead. 
But um, I sat down when we got home and I really thought about it and it just, I couldn't let it go. It really bothered me. I get that there's a lot of issues with the Catholic Church, but show me any religion that doesn't have issues and weirdness. And so I typed it all up in an email and I, I printed it out. I read it. I walked away from it for a day and then I rewrote the email and it was a very nice email. And I, I basically just said, I understand your issues with my faith, and I agree with some of them, however, comma, and I explained, you know, where I was coming from. And he emailed me back and said he had no memory of saying any of that. Hello, wow. out. I was so mad. But it didn't matter because I got my point across. I knew I was heard. And from there forward, he was always respectful to me and never said another word against my faith. So even if they don't appear to hear you in the moment, they do. And just to me anyway, speaking my truth isn't about educating someone else. I could, you know, really, he can say what he wants to say about the Catholic Church, but not to me. Mm -hmm. I needed to say that for me, not for him. That's a very important distinction to make because a lot of times assertiveness can be linked to your self-esteem as well. It's not easy to always have to divert to someone else or not share your feelings or do things you don't want to do. And I'm not saying all passive people do that, but if you think about this from a historical perspective, it really hasn't been that long. Years and years ago, it was a while it would have been in the the mid-70s for younger listeners, but that's when assertiveness really started to become a thing because women were stepping more into their own. They were stepping into their power. They were getting, uh, you know, you could get accounts in your own name, which people shake their heads and think that that's ancient history, but it's truly not when you look at the broad picture. And it was really difficult if you think about it. This is very much about being able to stand up for yourself without it having to be an aggressive stance, but instead saying, I'm okay with exactly who I am and I have a right to speak what I want to say or come from my own thoughts and truth. And these are uh, way, way back. But my, my point being, when that first became popular, there was a lot of mayhem because people were changing the perspective. They were doing things that had never been said, never been done. They were presenting in a way that socially and culturally was very uncomfortable for a lot of people. And I think that sometimes it goes back to, wasn't there a a book, When I Say No, I Feel Guilty?, there was a book way back in the day and there was assertiveness training groups that were out in the 70s, 80s, and early 90s. And I think part of this is for, if we're going to, as empaths, it, this is a critical life skill that we may or may not have developed, but it's not too late to learn how to do it. No, and you can learn it in small bites. Right. For me, I started by slowing down when I spoke because I noticed when I got excited or nervous, I talked really fast. And so my point wasn't getting across. So I first started when I had to really make sure I was communicating clearly, I would consciously slow my pace down. The second thing I started working on was accepting compliments with grace. That was a tough one for me. 
if someone complimented me, I had to say, oh, I got this on sale. Oh, this is from Target. Or, or I had to instantly throw a compliment back, which doesn't always come across as authentic. So I just made myself accept compliments with grace and ease. And then the third one I started, which was really hard, was not saying I'm sorry so much. That was a really big newsflash for me. I wasn't aware. I still do it. I just don't do it as much. But when you, when you consciously make yourself aware of how often you say I'm sorry, oh, I'm so sorry I'm just calling you back. I'm sorry I'm running late. I'm sorry I can't do that. And when you start to notice that and take those two words well, really three, out of your vocabulary, it starts to make you aware of how not assertive you're being, and it'll slowly shift and help you to sound more confident. And then eventually you'll feel more confident. And then I started practicing those I statements instead of you statements. And then finally, I started role-playing really important discussions before I had them and writing them down, like I said before. So I really worked on this in my own life. And I'm not saying I'm like misassertive now, but I will say, Denise, that I did just cancel my cable with a lot of assertiveness. And I was, I think I called you that. I was you did. <laughs> no arguments, no asking to see the supervisor, wasn't sold into another bundle package. I just stated my need and I got it done. So I do know that this is a learned behavior that we can all acclimate into our own life when you're assertively communicating it's not only respecting your boundaries it's respecting other people's boundaries and it allows there to be more cooperation between two people it doesn't become defensive or one-sided you know, and if you want more information on this you know cognitive behavior therapy is a huge huge part of of what we're talking about today even though we haven't really called it that, but if you want more, more information, because there are certain, you know, back from, to that book when I say, I know, know I feel guilty, some of those behaviors that you might get caught up in are a broken record technique, saying the same thing, I really need this to happen, I need this to happen, I need this to happen, but you're not doing anything about it to change it. Or, or fogging, which is finding some limited truth to agree with, when, with what the antagonist is saying, rather than having it be a group decision on what you can agree on. So there are so many different things that this falls under, but that the most important part, I think, is when how much better it feels as an empath and as a human being when we speak our truth and stand up for ourselves with knowing we're okay to say that. We're not taking away from someone else's truth when we do. Yeah, another awesome side effect of, of being assertive is you no longer need validation. Right. You know, I, like before, if, if someone said something kind of snide to me, I would have to tell 10 people about it. Or I'd have to say, did you all hear what Betty said about me in that presentation? Did I really talk that fast? I don't think so. And I'd have to go over and over and over it. But the more I started practicing being assertive, I didn't need that validation. I knew that Betty made a snide comment and I didn't need to talk about it. I just knew I had to address it with Betty. Mm -hmm. So rather than bothering 10 friends about it, I've learned to just directly and kindly but assertively get my point across with the person who needs to hear what I have to say, or I should say who I need to hear what I have to say. Excellent point. 
Well, before we wrap up, I just want to remind everyone that Denise and I are teaching our Mediumship 101 and Advanced Mediumship classes this fall. If you're interested in joining us, and we so hope you do, send us an email and we'll send you a survey and a copy of the course outline to make sure you're placed in the right class for your skill level. So you can email us at enlightenedempaths at gmail.com or you can go to our individual websites, samanthafay.com and thegratefulmessenger.com. I just want to interrupt a minute. That I need to bring up is that the retreat that Jen and I had planned for October, it had been originally planned in May and then our, the virus bumped us to October. We are going to switch that to be a virtual event that will be very different than the actual retreat that we had planned. But if you would like more information on that, please send me an email, Denise, at thegratefulmessenger.com. And I'll have more information about that very soon. We will be holding it on the same time frame of that first weekend in October. And that's Jennifer, who you all know from our astrology shows. So the two of you together are a great combination. Thank you. Well, thank you, everybody, so much for listening. As always, don't forget to show up, do great work, and share your light. Take care.